Okay. So uh, we can still chaperain, uh, wishing everyone a chodesh tov, even though it's after sunset. Um, also, uh, nightly sponsors, Lane Stern, in honor of her father and sister's yardsight, Avram ben Tzvi HaKohen, Zichronal Avracha, and Gitl Chaya Chana Rochel Bat Avram, Zichronal Avracha, in honor of her granddaughter's birthday, Lila Pnina Bat Ilana Batya, also in memory of Devorah Fega Bat Shmuel, Zichronal Avracha, and for the Rafua Shalema of Tehila Malka Bat Chaya, and Menachem Mendel ben Sora Batya, also, tonight, the second of Adar, is my maternal grandmother's yard site. So I also want to dedicate my class to her, Fradul Bas Boishemeyer. Okay, so today's title is Charity, Receiving What God is Giving. And the reason we're talking about charity is, besides that it is one of the most powerful mitzvot, the name of this week's Torah portion is Terumah. And teruma means an offering, a donation. Okay. So, as always, we're going to start with some modern-day issue. We're going to then deep into some mystical teachings and come back to understand the modern-day issue from the mystical teachings. What is going on here? Okay. So, I want to begin with a brief story. I believe that I shared with you this story once. I don't know what's going on. This story took place with the Reichman brothers. Anyone here? The Reichman brothers from uh, Olympia and York. They're from Toronto. Extremely, extremely wealthy Orthodox family. So I want to share with you a story. Once at a Sheva Brachot ceremony, there was someone in the family that got married. And they were there at the Sheva Brachot. You know, for a week you do Moses, Moshe Rabbeinu himself instituted the seven days of a Sheva Brachot and the seven days of Shiva. So the, shev, the seventh Sheva Brachot, one of the Sheva Brachot, one day, they were there. And, you know, there was uh, what we call a Nudnik in town. And the Nudnik would not leave this one brother alone. No, give us some secret. How did you become so successful? How did you make it? Come on, share, share the insights. Give us the secrets. Give us the tips. And he's not answering. Leave me alone. I'm here by a Simcha. He's just not answering. Another Reichman brother couldn't take it no more. The guy's being such a Nudnik. So he said, listen, sir, 97% mazel and 3% brains. Seichel. All of a sudden, the first Reichen brother spoke up and said, and we pray that the 3% should not get in the way of the 97%. What's he saying? What's he saying is that it's not his power. Like the verse says, lest you will say, koichi ve'otzim yodi, it's my power that made me all this grandeur. He's saying no. He's saying that it's mazel, meaning that it comes from Hashem. And the little bit that we have to do, we have to put our little finger there, we just hope that that doesn't mess things up. Now I want to share with you, hello. I want to share with you that what I believe he's doing is, he is paraphrasing from the Psalms. I'm going to read to you, what it says in the Psalm, chapter 127, which is one of the 15 songs of ascent. There were 15 steps in the Holy Temple, and they would sing one of these Psalms on each step. So, one of these Psalms, 127, says as follows. A song of ascent, Shelamalot, about Solomon. 
If the Lord will not build a house, its builders have toiled at it in vain. If the Lord will not guard a city, its watchers keeps his vigil in vain. What's going on here and what is the meaning of this? So, let's understand this. Man, on his own, is a finite person, a mortal human being, of which the great Rabbeinu Bechaya says in his commentary on Bereshis, when Hashem blessed, Shalom, when Hashem blessed um, Adam and Chava, he says that because of the sin, Tinok, the infant, from when he's born, he's already drying up. That means that the mortal human being, so finite, so mortal, and therefore, you cannot give or create what you don't have. Thus, a mortal a human being cannot create or accomplish an infinite or eternal accomplishment because he or she in themselves is not infinite and not eternal. Thus, King Solomon is telling us to have a true accomplishment. It's only with the help of Hashem. If Hashem is not involved, then our work is in vain. Because we cannot do what we do not have. And thus we are finite, we are mortal, and thus everything we're going to do is just timely. It's not... Uh... Okay? Now that we understand that, let's understand something very powerful. When I say that a man, a woman, a human, cannot do anything that's eternal or anything that's infinite, obviously the question comes, so how can we study Torah, which is the infinite wisdom of God, and how can we do a mitzvah, which is infinite and eternal? I mean, our sages tell us, as quoted in Tanya, the Alter Rebbe says, that even though in this world everything has a specific time, but being that the mitzvot and the Torah is the will and the wisdom of God, which is eternal, which transcends beyond time. So therefore, in Hashem's realm, once you go out of the bet of Bereshis of time and space, every mitzvah is eternal. Every Torah study is eternal. By the way, this manifests itself physically too. Because the Talmud tells us that when you study something, it's as if you did it. So if we right now study the laws of Pesach, that means we're now doing the mitzvot of Pesach. I mean, the Torah. Yeah, it, no, not the Torah, no. But that's what it is. Kol haloimid, ki'ilu, he who studies, it's as if. So even though today we don't have the Holy Temple, when you study the laws of sacrifices, it's as if you brought a sacrifice. Because mitzvot and Torah study transcends beyond time and space and is eternal. Thus we're now understanding that when Shlomo Melech says about the builder of the house, or when he talks about the guard and the vigil, we're not just talking about when we do our stuff. Even Torah and mitzvot we would never be able to do on our own. Thus, for example, you all know this Jewish reason of why we have over here a knip. It's because when the fetus is in the womb of the mother, it says a malach is sent, imner doluk al roishoi. He has a candle lit on top of the fetus. 
There's women used to say that's what they have heartburn in pregnancy. <laughs> but with a candle lit, and he teaches, the angel teaches the entire Torah to this infant. Right before the infant is born, a knip. And what does the knip do? It makes the infant, the fetus, forget everything it learned. No. If you're going to teach it to him, why are you making him or her forget it? And if you're going to make him or her forget it, why do you teach it? The answer is because if we would not have received it from above, from below, the human mortal finite mind would never be able to understand, grasp, perceive the infinite wisdom and will of God. Thus first it had to be given from above, then it's forgotten, but forgotten means it's still there. Thus he can bring it back, she can bring it back. So once again, exactly. So once again we're seeing that even in Torah study, the same thing with mitzvot. There's a verse in Tehillim, we say it in our prayers, that says, Magid Varov Liakov, Chukov Umishpatov Li Israel. He tells his words, his statutes, his judgments. Thus the question now becomes, what does it mean that he tells his Dvarov? So our sages extrapolate from here that what Hashem does, he tells us to do. It's not Pshat that he tells us, he does what he tells us to do. It's what he does, he tells us to do. From here we learn out that Hashem does the mitzvah first. According to Kabbalah, what that means is that Hashem is empowering us to do the mitzvah. Because the mortal finite human being on his own or her own could never do something which is infinite and eternal. Okay? So what we're going to talk about in this class, we're going to talk about in this lecture, how do we receive that which God is giving? If God has to do it first in order to give us, to empower us, to arouse us, then how do we receive that? Okay? That's number one. Is this, uh, is this working? You want to go ask them? Because I don't know, he just looked in here and I don't see the time moving. Whatever. You want to you go ask one of them? Or? Yeah, check, okay. Okay, if not, I'll just have to record it again. <laughs> okay. So anyway, let's get back to the class. This mimer, no, it's, it's actually one of the, la the things, because when they move this one around to whichever one it is, it doesn't work. So it's, it is. okay? Okay, let's go further. Ah, okay. So let's go further. This lecture is based on a mimer of the Rebbe, which the Rebbe delivered in 1965. He, the Rebbe, a blessed memory, based his teaching on a teaching of his predecessor, the Tzemach Tzedek, 175 years ago. So what we're seeing over here is that the Rebbe delivered the Maimon in 1965 on a Maimon that his predecessor delivered in 1844. Okay? Is this working? Is it not working? You want to check? Yeah, it should be working. It's live. Yeah? Okay, because sometimes they usually have a time over there. But what? Okay. Okay. Okay, no problem. Thank you. Sorry for the bothering. Okay. So what is the Maimon built upon? It's built upon 
the concept of a yikhuli truma, the second verse in today's Torah portion, the first one is, and God tells to Moses, saying that you shall tell the Jewish people, the yikhuli truma, you shall take from me a truma, and from that truma you're going to build the tabernacle, the mishkin, which eventually will evolve into a more sturdy structure in Shiloh. And then from there, it'll move again and again, another 14 years, another 15 years, and then it'll end up in Jerusalem through King David and King Solomon. Okay? So, this all started with a fundraiser. V'yikhuli Truma. So now we're going to talk about that. Okay? I want to give you a little introduction. Let's read the verse. Speak to the children of Israel and have them take from me a Teruma from every person whose heart inspires him to generosity. You shall take my Teruma and this is the Teruma that you shall take from them. And it goes on to list 15 or 13, an argument how you read it, um, 13 or 15, 15 different items. So, if you follow along with me, you see it in your notes, you'll see that it says three times in this commandment, the word teruma. V'yichuli teruma, right? V'yichu terumati, and this is the teruma that you shall take. From here, our sages extrapolate that there were three different donations that were taking place at this time. The verse actually talks about three different donations. And each one is used differently. The first one says, and you shall take from me a truma. Doesn't talk about what we want to give or not give. It's just a fact. You shall take for a truma. The second one says, look, it depends upon from every person whose heart inspires him to generosity. So the first one doesn't depend on whether you're feeling generous or not. The yichuli truma, you should take from me a truma. The second one depends on if you're generous. And then there's the third one which talks about the different items. Okay? So now, here's a couple of questions that I want to just put on the table. First of all, it says, You shall take from me a truma. What do you mean take from me a truma? The commandment should have been, and you shall give a truma. Why take instead of give? Number one. Number two, it says, you shall take for me a truma. Why does it just say truma? You shall take a truma and you shall build for me a house. What's the li there? Okay? And it doesn't say bishvili, it says li. You take me truma. Thus our sages extrapolate from here that by this truma you're taking God. We need to understand what that means. Okay? And and the question of course is why? Now before we go on, I want to just stop for a moment and I want to ask you to take out your handout. I want to just show you, and we're going to talk about this more later. I want to just show you that the word teruma has deeper <coughs> meanings. So if you look over here, I put in Hebrew the word teruma, and then you're going to see two interpretations. The Zohar talks about two interpretations. One is teruma, which is Torah mem, the Torah that was given, in 40. Mem is the numerical value of 40. The Torah that was given in 40 days and 40 nights to Moshe while he was in heaven. So teruma doesn't mean just charity, it means studying Torah. Another thing we learn out from here is teruma, play with the word and break it into two words. Tre mimea, two of a hundred. Now you'll see later when I get back to this, that simply speaking our sages do this in order to extrapolate how much is truma. Miser, God defines. Miser means a tenth. Teruma has no definition. 
Biblically speaking, if you give one drop of your field, done. So our sages learn now that the average person gives today memeya, a 50th is what you should give. And then it says the one who has a more stingy eye is one of 60, the one who has a kinder eye, a more generous eye, one of 50, but the majority is today memeya. So you see that the words teruma have different meanings. And you're gonna see that the word trey memeya on a mystical level, Kabbalistically speaking, talks about something completely different, okay? So I just wanted to put that out there so you understand that the word terum is gonna take us to total different levels. Okay, and now for the list of the mystical concepts that we're gonna discuss, and then we'll come back to understand how do we receive what God is giving. So here's the list. Number one, the tabernacle and the heavenly announcements. We're gonna talk about that. Number two, take me. Eternal, the Yikhuli. Doesn't say take a truma for me, it says take me truma. Number three, there's Torah, there's prayer, and there's post prayer Torah. What are those three levels? Number four, and this I quote to you, you'll see, I quote this to you from the 12 steps. The 12 step says after having, uh, after having a spiritual experience, it goes on to say we bring this into all our affairs. We're going to talk about what that means mystically in all our affairs. And then, shalom. And then lastly, the hidden tabernacle. There's actually a hidden tabernacle today in Jerusalem. So we're going to talk about all this. Okay, but the basement of Hasidus begin. So, our sages teach us concerning the opening verse, the Yikhuli Truma. I don't have another one. The Yikhuli Truma, you shall take from me a Truma. Our sages say, the Medrash Rabbah says, that this is connected to another Pasuk of King Solomon in Shir Hashirim, the Book of Songs. And it says like this, Kol doidi doifek, hark, my beloved is knocking, referring to Hashem is knocking on our heart, knocking on our door. And Pischuli, open for me, my sister, my beloved, and it goes on. And of course, in Jewish mysticism, what level are we the sister of Hashem? What level are we the beloved? What level are we? It talks about all of that. But I just want to share with you, just like it says, the Yichuli, take from me, the Medrash connects it to the verse that says, Pischuli, open up for me. And the deeper explaining the Medrash gives here is that the whole concept of building for God a tabernacle is the primary principle of the service of us to, to God, which is to make for God a dwelling place in the nether physical world. So here it's physically making for Hashem a house. Okay? Thus Hashem is saying, Pischuli, and the Medrash uses interesting words. It says that God says, Ad Masai, how long, until when will I be walking around on the outside? When will you make for me a house for me to live in it? Okay? Then there's another Medrash in Vayikra. It says almost the same thing. And again, I'm quoting. I said to you and take for me Truma, so that I will dwell among you and make for me a sanctuary. The Holy One, blessed be He, so to speak, said, take me and I will dwell among you. So basically the building of the tabernacle is the all-encompassing all service of the entire Torah mitzvot, which is to make for Hashem a dwelling place here upon earth. Okay?
Now, we explained in the introduction that when we said that Hashem said the Yichuli, we explained that because the human being is mortal and because the human being is finite, therefore what? Therefore we were taught that the person, the human, cannot do the infinite and the eternal. Now we understand why in the verse before it says that Hashem is telling you, open up for me, my beloved, my sister, open up for me. Before that, the verse says, Koil doidi doifek. The voice of my beloved God is knocking. That is the arousal and the empowerment, empowerment from above that we mortal human beings should be able to later go on and peacefully open up for me. So thus the verse is clearly telling us the first step has to come from above. Going back to what King Solomon said, if God isn't building, we're wasting our time. If God isn't guarding, then we're wasting our time. Thus the first thing has to be koil doidi, doifek. The voice of the beloved, God comes to us. He starts this whole process. And that empowers us to be able to pischuli, open up for me. Okay? Now we'll understand the same concept by Vayikhuli. Now, I wanted to share with you, before we go into Vayikhuli, I want to share with you an interesting statement in Chagiga, in the Talmud. I put over here, you want to read it, the whole story. I'll just tell it to you in brief. Daniel was standing in the famous story with the writing on the wall and he saw. And, and what happened was that uh, Daniel, it says, let me read it to you what it says over here. Um, let me read you the verse. A divine voice went forth say, um, saying, return rebellious children. I'm sorry, back up a second. I jump to another Gemara. Let's back up and talk about the first Gemara. The Gemara in Chagiga talks about it's having a story about the famous Elisha ben Abua that went off the track. He was called Acher. But anyway, they're talking about the, the angel Matatron. Bottom line is what we learn out from that Talmud teaching is that every single day a voice goes out and says, Shuvu bonim shovu. Return, O rebellious son. Why is the Bashemta wants to know? Why is this voice? What, why is God, the Gemara says, God doesn't make no miracles in vain. Thus the question is, if I can't hear it and you can't hear it, then why is Hashem doing it? So the Bashemta explains that the fact that all of a sudden, out of nowhere, people all of a sudden have an unearned hearer teshuva, a thought of doing teshuva. Where did that come from? You're busy with the stock market. You're busy with finding out where you want to have lunch. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, you start thinking about, you know, I need to become a better person. I need to get closer to God. Where does that come from? The Baal Shem Tov says, it's because of this baskoil, because of this heavenly announcement that goes out. It causes a drip. And we can connect to it. The Rebbe doesn't stop. The Rebbe says, but one second. We said that the heavenly voice goes out every single day. It makes every single day an announcement. Sadly, you and I know that we don't every day have a thought to do teshuva. 
So what's going on here? Thus the Rebbe takes us to the story that I started telling you about Daniel. And now let's read the story that happened with Daniel. And over here you'll see that Daniel alone saw a vision for the men who were with me did not see the vision. That's what the verse says. But a great trembling fell upon them so that they fled to hide themselves. That's a verse in the book of Daniel. Now the question is, skipping, I'm, I'm just going to tell you the point. You can read this on your own. I'm going to just tell you the point. The Gemara has a question. One second. If he saw and the others didn't see, why did they tremble and, and fled? Why, why did they do that? And it answers, They did not see, but their mazel saw. That's not Hebrew, that's Aramaic. Now, what's the explanation here? So, some people, uh, they, 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 they define mazlayu as your guardian angel. In Hasidus, it gets deeper than that. In Hasidus, there's different levels to your soul. There's a three that comes into your soul, or into your body, which is called nefesh, ruach, neshama. And then there's the higher two, which is called chaya, yechida. Chaya and yechida, the higher ones, are also called mazel. But I want to share with you a different meaning to the word mazel. How do you say in Hebrew a leak, a drip? Ze nozel. So in Hasidus we say that the way this system works is that the mazel up there, in other words, the higher levels of my neshama, which I don't have in my conscious mind, they're receiving, and from their mazel, from the word nozel, it drips into the conscious. And we don't even know where it's coming from or why it's happening. And all of a sudden, boom. By the way, I just want you to know, if you read the last piece of the, of the Talmud that I wrote here, just that you should see how serious this is, the Talmud extrapolates from here that if a person has a sudden fear of something going on, you should know that what your conscious mind is not seeing, your mazel is seeing and it's dripping down to you. So it says, and what should you do? I'll let you read it. <laughs> but over here... By the way, it's, it's, it's so interesting how I find more and more of the most famous fairy tales actually come from Jewish teachings. You know that famous story with the, uh, the troll under the bridge with the three goats? Yeah. That one's bigger than me. The troll comes up and wants to eat the little one. Says, oh, no, 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 there's someone, another goat that's coming that's bigger than me. So let me just read to you what you should say if you can't pray. <laughs> the goat of the slaughterhouse is fatter than I am. And if a calamity must fall upon something, it should fall upon it. <laughs> Almost like that story. <laughs> Interesting. But anyway, back to what we're talking about. So what we're seeing over here is that the reason why we mortal, egocentric, narcissistic, everything's about the I, I'm self-centered, and I don't mean this in a bad way, because the ultimate fight and the most intrinsic thing of all creatures is survival. That means self-centered, I. So therefore, even in that level when you talk about the I, how can that I ever understand or do something beyond the ego self? I.e., study Torah for the right reason, do a mitzvah for the right reason. The answer is because there's a bas coil. There's a heavenly voice that announces the higher levels of the neshama hear it. And from there it drips down to the conscious. 
Thus we clearly see that before we, mortal finite human beings, can do anything, there needs to be an arousal and an empowerment from above. Okay? Now we can understand some of the questions that we asked. We asked the question, why does it say, V'yikhu, take, instead of give? And why does it say, V'yikhu li, take me, instead of not just saying, V'yikhu trumati, truma, take a truma. Now we understand. We're now understanding that what the verse is saying is, in order for you to build a house, I have to first do something. So really what's happening here is not that, it's not talking about your giving. First you have to receive what I am giving, which will empower you to then go on and do what you have to do. And that's why the verse doesn't say, V'yitnu, give the truma, because here it's talking about V'yikhu, first open yourselves up to receive that which I'm giving you. Thus we have the voice knocks upon the heart, and only then what's the next thing that we have to do is pischu, open up to receive it. But it has to start with the koil doidi. Thus now we understand the depths of what the Medrash is saying. That the yikhuli and take me is what the verse says pischuli, open up. Because they're both saying the same thing. What they're saying is that I'm giving you the power for you to then be able to do. Thus the first step is you must receive what's coming from above. Ve'yikhu, take. Pischu, open up. Now we also understand something else. What does the word li mean? Li means me. The verse says, Ve'yikhu li, you shall take for me. Ve'asu li, you shall make for me. Right? You shall take from me a cheruma, a donation, an offering, and the osuli, and you shall make for me a house. Now, a sanctuary. Now, our sages in two places say a very interesting rule on this concept. It says, wherever the verse uses the word li, it means eternal forever and ever. Another Medrash says the same words, but he goes on. He says everywhere it says li loizaz, it never moves away from there, not in this world and not in the world to come. So what we're seeing here is two concepts. A, it's eternal forever and ever, and B, it doesn't change. Loizaz, it doesn't move, there's no change. Now you understand that anything that mankind does evolves, changes, decomposes, whatever it may be, and it's not eternal. Now we understand that because the verse is not telling us you should do a human mortal offering, but rather here we're talking about and you shall receive from me. Thus we understand now why this becomes eternal and never changing. Because all you're doing is pischu v'yikhu. You're opening up and you're receiving. You're taking what? Li. Therefore, it's never changed. What God does is eternal. What God does isn't affected by time, space, and whatever. So interesting, the simple verse is saying, seems to be that God is telling Moses 
that you shall take from the Jews what we need to build a temple. Mystically speaking, God is telling Moses, in order for them to be able to, they first have to pischu, do nothing more than open up and accept what I'm giving you so that you can then take that of me within you and build an eternal house. And by the way, just that you should know, simply speaking, there's the teaching that when it says, loizaz, and we'll talk about this later, it means that God was talking about the eternalism of the house of God. And therefore you know that when you go to Israel, you'll see by the Kotel, there's a huge big sign there that says, no Jew is allowed to pass this point. Why isn't a Jew allowed to pass this point? Because it clearly says that we're impure, either because we were at a funeral or for whatever happened, we never were able to purify ourselves with the red heifer, and you're not allowed to go onto the Temple Mount, because loizaz misham. It's eternal. When God, when King David brought the house, the Bet HaMikdash, and Shlomo Melech built it on Jerusalem in the mountain, it is eternal. Loizaz misham. It's not moving. Now, mankind's work would never have that. Okay? So now understanding the Yikhu, Hashem's telling us, whoa, 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 stop. Before you start telling me what you can do, slow down a moment. Open up and let me give you so that what you do do won't just be as finite and as mortal as you are, but will be able to be infinite and eternal. And thus there's the lead. Okay? So now we understand that. Now I want to share with you that Rabbi Shnei Zalman of Liadi, the Alter Rebbe, he has a very interesting teaching. And he says as follows. Even though that which comes from above is so much more powerful, we're now understanding that there can be nothing that comes from below before something comes from above. And you can understand that what comes from above is perfect. Nevertheless, the Alter Rebbe says there's a problem with that. The vice is that that which is given to you from above, you never, even though you have the pischuli, v'yikhuli, open up and take, that which comes not from you can never truly be fully and completely internalized and one with you. Thus, again, that which comes from above, not from you, cannot be completely and absolutely eternalized and become one with you. That's why you will notice that the statistics that I read in the medical journals, NDE, near-death experiences, never causes a lifelong change. You're so excited, oh my God, blah, blah, blah. I saw the white light, blah, blah, blah. or you have an accident and you, you should be dead, God forbid, I'll never drive like that again. It usually lasts a week, two, three. Because that which was thrust upon you doesn't last. It will eventually wear off. Thus, that which comes from above is not enough. We now need to take that impetus and use it to begin from below. Okay? That's what the Alter Rebbe explains. So now let's talk about what is the service from above, 
What is the service from below? Now you remember I started by saying that we're talking in this verse, our sages tell us there's three times teruma because there are three different terumas going on here. Three different donations. So let's see. I want to turn, I want to return for a moment to what I showed you. So I showed you over here that the word teruma refers to Torah study. Torah mem. I also told you that our sages extrapolate from here trememeya. Two out of a hundred, which means a fiftieth. Now, I want to take you to the Kabbalistic meaning of the second interpretation, Tremimeya. For that to happen, I need you to take the second paper of the handout. And I patiently typed out, or maybe not so patiently, typed out, because <laughs> uh, this specific computer I was using, I had to type it backwards. Um, I typed out the entire verse of the Shema Yisrael and the Baruch Shem. If you look under it, I tell you that Shema Yisrael has 25 letters, and the Baruch Shem has 24 letters. Okay? 52 plus 24 equals 49. <coughs> the next step I share with you a verse from the Shema which says, when you lie down and when you rise up. From here we learn, that we're biblically obligated to say the Shema twice a day, in the morning and at night. So now, at night in the morning, yes, correct. We do night before, thank you. And then what do we see now? So if you do the Shema and the Baruch Shem twice, 49 plus 49 is 98. What is 98? It's missing Trey Memeya. It's missing the two of the hundred. So from a Kabbalistic point of view, the word Teruma, which is extrapolated to be Trey Memeya, is talking about the service of prayer, the Shema Yisrael. And now the question is, what is the missing two? What is the Trey Memeya specifically? For that, we go to the Gemara in Brachas. The Talmud in Brachas says that he who's Meirich, you ever notice when people say Shema, they go Echad. Mm -hmm. They don't say Echad. They're being Meirich, they're making it long. Because it says, he who makes long the Echad, we make long his days and his years. Long life. The Talmud says you got to be careful where to make it long. Because if you say Echad, it sounds like two words. So therefore they tell you, be careful and do it with the Dalit. And make sure not to skip the Ches. So you say Echad. Now, here's how logically speaking the Talmud says over there. What exactly does it mean? Because the Talmud says that Rabbi Yehuda, right there it says, Rabbi Yehuda saw one of his students, like, uh, he said, as soon as you do the concept of unification of God, that the Aleph, God, is in Ches, the seven heavens and the one earth, and Dalit in the four directions of the earth, all is Hashem and Hashem is all, you are Yoytza. You did your thing. It's not about long, it's about intention. You can be five minutes thinking about the football game, or you can be three minutes thinking about Hashem. Now, which one is the long? Now, let's go to Kabbalah and Hasidus. The Alter Rebbe quotes that when he says that you should lengthen the Echad, it's talking about arousing within yourself through concentration the readiness and the willingness to sacrifice yourself for God, self sacrifice. 
self-sacrifice for God. Arousing within yourself? Yes, through concentration, the self-sacrifice for God. Now, what does that mean? What that means, simply speaking, is that even though we're told that for all sins, simply speaking, for all sins, you commit the sin and you don't die. If you have to go to the hospital on Shabbos, you get into a car and you go to the hospital. But there is three specific sins that you don't. If someone says, kill him or I'll kill you. If someone says, have a sexual relationship with a forbidden, either a married woman or incest. Or if someone says, bow to this idol or I'll kill you. So you know that there's many stories about the, the one that's about idolatry. Thus, what we're saying here is that in your mind, you need to be ready and willing that if you ever had to, God forbid, face that auto de fe, where they're going to tell you either bow to the cross or we're going to kill you, you should be ready to die. Hasidus takes it a little deeper. And when I say deeper, I'm just saying because that only applies on a circumstances. Hasidus says it brings a, a proof from a verse in Tanakh that nefesh, mesirat nefesh, sacrifice of the soul, which means to give up your life. The word nefesh also means will. And therefore, mesirat nefesh means to give up your egocentric, driven will. It's not about what I want, it's what Hashem wants. In other words, what that means is that you should concentrate on Hashem and your relationship with Hashem by the word Echad until you reach that level of Mesiris Nefesh, i.e. to hand over, to surrender my will to God's will. And thus I have a oneness with God. Because now I'm at a place where I'm a conduit for God's will. That's the Kabbalistic interpretation. Thus the Tremimeya is talking about the Truma, Tremimeya, two of a hundred, is talking about prayer, specifically the Shema Yisrael, specifically arousing within yourself a point of self-sacrifice, which includes a surrender of my will for God's will. Thus we now see there's two services that we're talking about here when it says, when you will take, lead me through Teruma. One is that it's Teruma Torah, study Torah. The other one is Tremimeya, which we now know is the 49 and the 49, which equals 98, because the other one to each of the Shema's is to lengthen the intention and concentration until you're ready to self-sacrifice for Echad. God is one. Now let's take it a step further. According to the interpretation that Truma is Torah Mem, we're talking about what comes from above. What does God say? Kimin HaShamayim, from heaven I spoke to you. The Ten Commandments, the Torah. The Torah in the works of the great Shlach HaKadosh is called Lechem Min HaShamayim, bread from heaven. Because the Torah is digested in knowledge. So it's like bread, but it comes from heaven. We're taught that if someone becomes impure, forgive me, but the Talmud is talking about if a student had a seminal discharge. So he becomes impure until he goes to the mikveh. Is he allowed to study Torah or not? So we learn now from a verse that says, Haloi kod 
Is not my word like fire? And the Talmud extrapolates from here, just like fire cannot become impure, so too the word of God cannot become impure. And we're told that Rabbi Yehuda had a student that he asked him to read or to say a Torah. And because that, Torah, that student had a seminal discharge the night before, or whenever it was, and couldn't go to the mikveh yet, he mumbled it because he didn't want to really say it. And Rabbi Yehuda said, don't, don't do that. Don't mumble. This is Torah. Torah cannot become impure. Say it. Thus we see that the Torah comes from heaven, and even when it's down here, it's heavenly and cannot be infected by impurity. So Torah is from above to below. Prayer is from below to above. So the Truma definition of Torah Mem is from above. The Yikhuli Truma. And the Truma from Tremimeya is us then taking what we got from above and making it real for us. And how does it become real from us? when it's from below to above. It's me having a serious study, meditation, concentration of what's my relation with I, who am I, what's my will, what's God's will, and how I have to sacrifice what I want for what God wants. How I have to surrender my will for God's will. Thus you have both. First we have to have from above, then we can take it from below. And if we're not going to take it from below and just remain with from above, you should know it's going to wear off. We have to first receive from above, which in service means Torah study, God's word. But then we have to also work from below, which is prayer, cleanse ourselves, refine ourselves, humble ourselves, surrender our will to God's will. Because if not, even though what we got from above is infinite and eternal, it will wear off. To us it won't be real. Because it was thrust upon us from above. Thus it's not enough to just have from above. We have to then go from below, which is what it means, pischuli, the yikhuli. Open up to receive, internalize. Take. Okay? We're going to take it a step further. When we pray and then we study Torah, it's a different Torah study than when we study Torah before we pray. Wow. Why? Because you're open. You're connected to Hashem when you pray, if you, if you pray properly. But what does that do to the Torah study? The Torah is the word of God, whether I prayed or I didn't pray. It elevates. The Torah is what it is. It elevates it. But the Torah is the word of God. God gave it to me. You're right. But I just, I want us not to just to say words. Let's understand this. Yes. The Torah simply given to us is the word of God. The word of God. When we go through the process of prayer, and more specifically, when we enter into the oneness, Hashem Echad, and we open ourselves up and we surrender anything that's not Hashem Echad, I surrender my will for God's will, then the next step of the Torah study, it's not just the Word of God, 
We're not just taking the external part of the Torah, which is the word of God. Now we're going to fall back on a teaching from our sages that says the first word of the Ten Commandments is not the holy tongue. The holy tongue, ani, is I. Anochi is not the holy tongue. So why did God start the Ten Commandments with a word that's not from the holy tongue? Not from Hebrew. So our sages extrapolate that there's an acronym here. Anochi, Aleph, Nun, Chaf, Yud. And what does that mean? Anochi means Ano, I, the essence. Ksavit, in the writings. Yehavit, have given, have placed. Ano, Nafshik, Savit, Yehavit. I, my essence. I, Nafshit, I'm sorry. Ano, I, Nafshit, my soul, my essence. Savit my in my writings, Yahavit I have given. So what Hashem is telling us that when you study Torah before you pray, you're only open to what the book says, not what the author is within the book. But when you do the prayer and the self-sacrifice and you open up to the Hashem Echad, then the Torah study is not just the external word of God, will of God, wisdom of God, actually God has placed himself within the Torah. And thus there's a famous teaching of our sages that says that Dovid HaMelech, the King David, in his Torah study, he brought together the author with his book. That is what Kabbalah Chassidus explains can only happen after prayer. Because before prayer, you're not in a position to be open to the ultimate echadness that's within the Torah. You're reading the words of God, you're reading the will of God, you're reading the wisdom of God. He and His will is one, He and His wisdom is one. But to get beyond that, to get into the echad, the anon nafshit kitavit yehavit, Let's go back to that verse. Don't just take what I'm telling you. Take me. That can only happen after we first do a menshlecha davening, a menshlecha prayer, a humbling of self, a surrender of will. Thus what you're now hearing is as follows. Let's go through the three trumot. Number one, you have a yikhuli truma, you shall take from me a truma that refers to the Torah mem. That refers to the Torah study before prayer. What does it say after that? The second truma reads, from every person whose heart inspires him to generosity, you shall take teruma t. By the way, suffix t at the end of a word is what? Mine. You know the word. Mashem sheli or mashmi. Right? Suffix yud means mine. So here he's saying, from every person whose heart inspires him to generosity, you shall take turumati. What we're hearing here is two things. Number one, you first have to work out that your heart inspires you to generosity. That is the Shema Yisrael. That is the prayer. That is the sacrifice of will. The surrender of my will for God's will. That's what it means here when in the second truma it gives a prerequisite. First we have to make your heart generous. How do I make my heart generous? Through the Shema Yisrael Shema Kinah Shema Then after that, 
The Torah study is not the same like the first Torah study. The first Torah study is Truma. This one is Truma T. Why the suffix T? Because now you're not just taking the words of Torah. You're not just taking the will of God and the wisdom of God. You're taking the eye of God within His Torah. So we have two, two things. Again, let's go over this clearly. The first one is the Truma, what's called bread from heaven. It's God's Torah and I'm studying God's Torah. The second thing is what? The second thing is two parts. First, we have to have our heart inspired to generosity. How does my heart inspire me to generosity? Only if I break down a little bit, the self will run riot. Only if I break down this I want and I surrender it to God wants. So the second truma has two parts. Number one, it's the piece of I'm going to inspire my heart, i.e. I'm going to daven and really reach the Hashem Echad, the self-surrender. Then you have the second part of the second truma, which is from below, which is that now my Torah study is not the way it was. Now it's much deeper. Now I'm taking the truma T. Thus we have interesting verses here, which says, I quote the verses here, it says in Isaiah, it says concerning Torah study, my essence, words that I have placed in your mouth. And in Tehillim it says, in Psalms it says, my tongue will proclaim your essence, word. That's the outcome of Torah study post-prayer. So the first Torah, the first truma is pre-prayer Torah study. This said that which it says, from heaven I spoke to you. Bread from heaven. It's fire. It's not affected by you. Then comes the second truma, which is part A. Is prayer. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Hashem Echad. To bring myself to the surrender of will. And then comes the second part of the second truma, which now I'm studying Torah with the Ve'yikhuli. Now I'm studying Torah as truma T, my Torah. Find the author, become one with the author in his book, not just the book. What's the third truma? We said it says three times through a truma. So let's read it. And this is the truma that you shall take from them. And then it goes on to list, every person gives what, what they want, the different 13, 15 items. So now let's see what that is. This is the service which our sages in ethics say, and all your actions, we're not talking about mitzvot, that's not your actions, that's God's actions imposed upon you. We're talking about the way you eat, the way you dress, the way you take a vacation, the books you like to read, the hobbies you like to have. This is about you. But even in the you, when we're busy with our you, it should be for the sake of heaven. And secondly, which comes from a verse from Mishli, Proverbs, which says, In all your ways, you should know him. So we're talking about your studies. We're talking about your profession. But can you find God in it? So the third, the third teruma is not about the service of Torah study, prayer. It's about you're doing your stuff. 
What's your relationship with God when you're doing your stuff? And thus, I go to the 12th step of the 12 steps. Because in the 12th step, it says like this, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, and then it closes with, and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Let's read that from our Parsha. What are we reading in our Parsha? So too, having had a spiritual affair, a, a spiritual experience from the first two Terumot, which is Torah study and prayer, Shema, self-sacrifice and selfless post-prayer Torah study, we now carry this Truma spirituality in all our affairs, into all our actions and all our ways. That's the third Truma. That's what makes it even more mine than prayer. Because prayer is a mitzvah. Even though it's me working my way up to Hashem, prayer is a mitzvah. But when I'm going ahead and I'm going on my personal, I would like to travel. And when I travel, I bring along some Torah books to read. And I make sure that there's kosher food. And I check out the Jewish, the Jewish community and I want to learn about it. Then all of a sudden, my travels, nothing to do with Hashem. Hashem didn't command me to travel anywhere. My travels, your actions, your ways becomes about Hashem. And when it becomes about Hashem, that means that now we really brought Hashem into my life. That means to do everything with love. Well, uh, just let me just finish this up because we're running out of time and then I'll stay. You can ask all the questions, we discuss it. Okay? Now let's go to one last thing. We explained that really it has to come from above first. And we explain that there's the heavenly announcements. And the heavenly announcements are heard by our higher levels of our soul. And from there it drips down into our conscious. And what we have to do is the pischuli and v'yichuli. We have to open up and accept it. That means it's not what we're doing. It's just accepting and receiving what God is giving. So now I want to share with you that the same thing exists physically concerning the holy temple. We don't have to build a new holy temple. We don't have to create something which isn't already existing. It's already existing physically and we have to just reveal it. So much so that we're soon going to see that for the holy saintly souls, there never was a destruction. And let's understand this now. Okay? The Talmud teaches, I'm going to read it to you. Rav Hanina, the son of Papa, interpreted a verse homiletically. What is the meaning of that which is written, written in Tehillim, Psalms? Rejoice in the Lord, you righteous. Praise is comely for the upright. Now the words, the last words in Hebrew are Na'avah Tehillah. So the Talmud says, Do not read the conclusion of the verse as praise is comely, Na'ava. Rather read it as a house, Na'ava of praise. So it's not Tehillah Na'ava. Your Tehillah is Na'ava. Your praise is comely. Rather read it as Nava Tehillah, Nava, the house of Tehillah of praise. Okay? So, what does this apply to? So look what it says. This is referring to Moses and David whose enemies did not rule over their achievements as they each built a Nava, right? Moshe Benu built the tabernacle and then David, the King David started preparing the Bet HaMikdash. 
a house for the Lord, and, a, and, a house, and this house remained in existence. Let me share with you. Then it goes on to say, what does that mean about King David? Because the house was destroyed. So it brings a verse. But now I want to tell you the next thing. What does it mean concerning Moses? As the master said, when the first temple was built, the tabernacle was sequestered, including its boards, its claps, its clasps, and its bars, and its pillars, and its sockets. The Gemara is not just uh, playing hocus pocus. Where is it sequestered? Rav Chista said that Avimi says beneath the tunnels of the sanctuary. That means the Temple Mount had tunnels and it was hidden there. That means physically the entire tabernacle that was built in the year 2449 back in the desert that went and traveled and traveled and traveled and eventually was brought to Jerusalem. That was literally hidden with all the beams that you're learning about in this week's Torah portion. Everything there was hidden physically as is, physically in the mountain. In the tunnels under, in the mountain. Under the tunnel? Yes, correct. Okay? Thus, you now understand when we say that it's eternal, we mean it also physically, not just spiritually, that we can't go on to Temple Mount. Physically, Moses, the house he built for God, is physically intact and complete in Jerusalem hidden, in the mountain. Now we can take it a step further. It says, concerning the righteous and the saintly, it says as follows, and I quote to you, before the lofty soul, such as that of Rab Shimon Bar Yochai, you know Rab Shimon Bar Yochai was the composer of the Zohar, the house, the holy temple was not destroyed. Thus what is being asked of us now when Hashem says, Pischuli, open up for me. He's not asking us to build something new. He's asking us to reveal that which already exists. And physically so. But to do that, we need to open up to receive and then from that new experience to give. In closing... Let us merely recap what we have learned in how to receive that which God is giving us. Open for me, my sister, my beloved, is what we need to do. We can do this because God is already, my beloved is knocking. And the way to do this is through prayer and concentration in the Shema to the point of self-sacrifice of ego, opening up to the oneness of God. Simply speaking, that sounds like big. Oh, God, strange. Simply speaking. This means to connect with God every day and to live a spiritual life of being a can-do-it-for-God in all your actions and in all your ways. Amen. Thank you.